Today is the final Sunday of the season of Easter. We've been reading from the book of Acts of the Apostles each week, the stories of Peter and Paul after Jesus was crucified, resurrected, and ascended to heaven. We've heard stories of the apostles' encounters with the ruling authorities in Jerusalem, the story of Paul's conversion on the road to Damascus, Peter raising Dorcas from the dead, Peter's vision of the sheet from heaven, and then last week and this week, stories of Paul's missionary journey. Now it also happened that our final messy church last month, we chose the theme, The Journeys of Paul. When it was time for the celebration, I distributed a map of the Mediterranean to everyone, which was the known world at the time. And below it, I listed a favorite memory verse from each of Paul's letters. And then about 30 of us went on a journey. We started back in the play school, which was the city of Damascus, where I talked about how Paul began his preaching ministry there and so outraged the religious authorities that he had to sneak out of town by being lowered in a basket over the city walls. Then we went to uh, the province of Galatea, which was the basement, and uh, down there we talked about uh, the Galatians and the Colossians. Then we came up the stairs into the foyer, which was the house church of Corinth. Went to the back, which was Philippi, which we're talking about today. Then into the chapel, Thessalonica, where we, we talked about what happened there. Came out here and ended up in Rome. Our, on our journey, Michael Robinson was our traveling troubadour. He was strumming along and singing, Paul and Silas on the sea, hallelujah. And we had seven different verses. So by the end, everyone was tired, hungry, and even baby Noah was singing, hallelujah. It was pretty great. So everyone knew that Paul really got around. Paul was both a Jew and a Roman citizen, so he had access to all the corners of the Roman Empire. But he chose his destinations carefully through prayer and listening to his dreams and visions. The way he ended up in Philippi was because he responded to a dream where he had a vision of a man encouraging him to come to the province of Macedonia. And several significant events happened at his time in Philippi. The city was a wealthy Roman colony filled with Roman culture and the pantheon of Roman gods. And Paul and the other apostles leave the city each day to go to a place of prayer outside the city walls. There they made friends with Lydia, baptizing her household and establishing her house church. But while Paul and his, and his friends are walking through town, they're not proselytizing, because that would be illegal in a Roman colony, but they've hooked up with this young slave girl who is a fortune teller to the Philippians. We don't know the girl's name. We don't know anything about her circumstances, except that she was filled with the spirit of the goddess Pythia of the, of the town of the Philippians. Was she stolen from Africa? Was she born into slavery? Or was she sold to pay debts of grieving parents? 
or was she tricked into it by conniving brothers? All we know is that the Philippians gullibly exchange money for her prophecies, a lot of money. So Paul and his friends walk through the city, and this girl is following them, shouting out, These men are slaves of the Most High God, who proclaim to you a way of salvation. She's like a town crier. She's walking around, shouting this out. And Paul is kind of a hot-blooded type, not really known for his compassion. And the girl is just getting on his last nerve. And so he calls upon the divine authority of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, to remove the spirit of divination from the girl. He says, I order you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And the girl is transformed. But the action sets off a chain reaction with the Philippians. And in all the kerfluffle, we never learn what happens to the slave girl after this. All we know is that her owners are furious with Paul for turning their money-making venture into dust. But this isn't a story about slavery and human dignity, as compelling as that may be. This is a story about the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome obstacles, any obstacles that the first apostles faced in their mission. Paul's reckless use of the power of the Holy Spirit brings him before the authorities and the magistrates of the town. They don't hold a proper trial, The magistrates allow the accusers to incite an angry mob and then cower to the crowd. They order these pesky foreigners stripped naked, beaten, and thrown into the stocks in prison. And that happens. But Paul and Silas are undefeated. They spend the night singing songs and praying. They're kind of like superheroes that way. No effects from the 40 lashes. They while away the evening, enjoying each other's company. And then the earth moved. An earthquake undermines the prison. All the doors burst open and their chains fall off. And Paul and Silas could have chosen to flee naked into the night. It's so obvious that any sane prisoner would have jumped at the opportunity to run away that the jailer is ready to take his own life. It would be better, he thinks, to have been a casualty of the earthquake than to be discovered to have been sleeping on the job while his prisoners escape. But Paul and Silas stop the jailer from falling on his sword, and instead the jailer falls at their feet, trembling. The earthquake has shaken him up. Maybe he had heard the slave girl's declarations in the days before, because at this point he asked them, what must I do to be saved? And I'm thinking, man, it'd be easy to evangelize if people started conversations with this question. What must I do to be saved? I've never met anyone who talks like this. But Paul's got a ready answer. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. The jailer brings the naked prisoners into his house and feeds and clothes them and everyone is baptized into the way of salvation. But what do we do with this strange unfolding of this story? The exorcism of a fortune teller 
ruthless slaveholders with city authorities in their pocket, an earthquake, superhero apostles, the trembling jailer. The apostles are the superheroes of our faith. Their faith shakes up the people that they meet. The slave girl is forever changed by Paul's words. So let's hope and imagine that since she was remembered by the author of the story, that she was not forgotten in her own time. The story of the slave girl surely can't end where the account in Acts leaves us. I wonder if we're meant to write the ending. Because once a person believes in the Lord and is baptized, they want to live their life differently. They want to move into the fullness of the life God intended for them. So perhaps these newly formed house churches of Lydia and the jailer, maybe one of them took the girl in, helped her to find a new life. Because once freedom is realized, it takes a whole community to help to adapt to it. And Lydia and the jailer showed that desire to change, the desire to change that comes from the Holy Spirit being at work in them. And once the Holy Spirit is working, great things happen. Paul isn't a drifter. He's carefully listening for the guidance of the Holy Spirit. He's putting himself in places where he can have conversations about the Lord and about salvation. After he established the churches in Philippi, he didn't forget them. He wrote letters of encouragement to them, which are preserved in our Bible. He says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has served to advance the gospel. There's a beautiful American spiritual that goes, sometimes I feel discouraged and think my works in vain, but then the Holy Spirit revives my soul again. I think the stories that are preserved in the book of Acts are meant to be encouraging, even though they're stories of slavery and brutality and earthquake. We're meant to recognize the power of the Holy Spirit moving through this story. The Spirit intervened, so Paul was guided to travel to the region. The Spirit placed Lydia and the slave girl and the jailer in Paul's path. They might seem like unlikely candidates for building a house church, but they are successful. The church at Philippi flourishes after this short visit. Paul writes to them later, I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. Partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. All of you share in God's grace with me. We, too, are partners in the gospel from that first day in Philippi all the way to today. In his letter, Paul encourages them to value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Paul modeled this advice in his behavior after the earthquake. He had no need to run off into the night. Chains and prison walls were not what kept him there. His confidence in the Lord had kept him there, a confidence that resulted in the conversion of the jailer. 
the planting of the church in Philippi. To value others above yourself was a novel concept in a Roman culture of slaveholding and cutthroat commerce. Paul tells them, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. The stories we read are there to train us and encourage us in becoming apostles for Christ. The song has another verse that says, if you cannot preach like Peter, if you cannot pray like Paul, you can tell the love of Jesus who died to save us all. Tell the love of Jesus. When we accepted the invitation of God's grace and salvation, it transformed us into practical expressions of God's love. All our relationships are affected by the power of the Holy Spirit working through us, working to fulfill God's good purpose. I have never had anyone ask me, what must I do to be saved? But I know that the presence of the Holy Spirit has been with me, guiding my path, sometimes with gentle nudges, sometimes with a kick in the pants. I know I've experienced the love of Jesus in my life through the work of other Christians I've met, including people here in this place. Finally, it was Paul who wrote the words of the blessing we say at the end of every worship service. God's power working in us can do infinitely more than we can ask or imagine. I wonder how you and I are listening to the nudges of the Holy Spirit today. I wonder if we're bold enough to be superhero apostles in our own sphere of influence in Vernon and Coldstream and Lumbee and Armstrong and Lake Country. Are we valuing others above ourselves? Sometimes I wonder if we even want God's power to do more than we can ask or imagine because we know, we think we know exactly what we need right down to the letter. But God is willing to offer abundantly more. I believe God's power is as real and vibrant today as it was in the days of Paul and Silas. I believe in the invitation to enjoy the life and grace offered in Jesus Christ, and I, and I believe it is still being extended to us and through us. There's no need to overthink it. God has already removed all of the obstacles in our way. All we're being asked to do is to know and accept God's grace and life through Christ, and in turn to demonstrate that grace and life to others. That's how the good news will spread. We make our best effort to live this way, and Paul's, Paul assures us, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord, and to his name be all honor and glory. Amen.